Praise ye the Lord. And the question we're going to ask is tonight is, what's missing in your Bible? What is missing in your Bible? What is missing in your Bible? Chapter 10 of Hebrews and verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. He says, In the volume of the book it is written of me. My question is tonight, what is missing in your Bible? Maybe see it. What is missing in your Bible? Now, maybe you don't care what's missing in your Bible, but I believe if you had a contract, you would be careful about what is missing from that contract. I believe if you had a bank account, you'd be concerned what's missing in the bank statement. And I believe if you have a will and testament, you'd be concerned what's missing from that will and testament. And yet, there's no greater treasure on earth than the Bible. The Bible is God's treasure in the field called the world. And even though every home may have a Bible, or the resemblance of a Bible, very few ever ask themselves the question, what is missing from my Bible? What is missing from my Bible? And if I could stir up your pure mind and cause you to enter into an inquiry to find out what is missing in your Bible, then maybe you can say, I'm going to take the Bible back to the store where I bought it. And tell them I was short-changed. The cornflakes box is quite a size. But when you shake it up, amen, you can tell it's not full. When you open it carefully, it's only three-quarter full. Something is missing in the package. Amen. Or you buy an article, and when you go home, and you open it unpacked it, you find something is missing in that package. You go back to the place where you purchase it and said something is missing from this package. And I want to correct it. Now very few people ever stop, if any, ever stop and ask themselves the question, what's missing? Now you know there's convenience stores all around us. There's convenience shopping everywhere. They always want to make life easier for all of us. And no sweat to be involved, no effort to be involved. And so being the kind of humanity we are, small, smart enterprisers recognize that and come up with convenience for us. <clears throat> but nobody ever asked the question, what's missing in the convenience goods? What exactly is missing? We got rid of the old roadside uh, 
gas station uh, company that used to be around. And when he was around, you could fix your tire, get your air, uh, you know, it's corrected in the tire and all that stuff. And the gas would be checked, the water rate would be checked in the under the under the hood and all that stuff. You windscreen a wipe for you. Well, another store came in, and they said, "Well, you know what? You don't have to go through all that. We're going to give you convenience shopping, a convenience oil fill, and all they'll do for you is sell you the oil. But they will not help you maintain the car. And people don't realize that they gave up a whole lot for just a little." But I realize I must have lost. It looked convenient, but what's missing in the convenience? And the same thing <coughs> with the colleges that will tell you, you don't need to do five, six-year university. We can give it to you in three months, two months. And all you got to do is thus and thus, but they don't tell you what's missing in the training and how short you will end up with uh, absence of full accredited knowledge and so they'll sell it to you and you walk away with it and they try to use it and find it's not usable it's not available or you could go buy a, a broom, it looks pretty cheap you know it was made in such a country it's a discount and you bought it you swept one time with it and that's the last time you used it it was cheap and convenient to buy but you know what you didn't ask the question, what am I missing when I purchased this? And that's the same thing with the things of God. <clears throat> the devil tried to give Jesus Christ an easier way to be a world leader. All he had to do was not go to Calvary and die and drink from that bitter cup. He just said to me, here's what you got to do, Jesus. If you just bow and worship me, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, look, I'll give you all that if you just bow and worship me. And you have to go to Calvary. There'll never be a trial. And he offered him all the convenience. The quick reach to the top. Amen. Providence. But Jesus resorted to something I'd like us to do tonight. He said to him three times, Satan, get thee hence behind me, for it is written. Now, this is the same devil that visited Adam and Eve, amen, 4,000 years ago, and told them, you can be wise as God, and you can have all this knowledge of good and evil, and be like one of us, if you will just do a certain thing, in other words, here's a convenient way to be like God. And Satan changed the word. He put in there one word. But before he did it, he asked a question, a very rhetorical question. He's not answering, because he knows the answer. Hath God said, struck their mind, to stimulate doubt. Hath God said? But God does know. God does know that if you do otherwise, you might just become like Him. 
And he doesn't want you to gain an ascendancy or that equality. Why don't you investigate? Do some research and find out and see what will happen. In other words, be a scholar. Explore your world. Get involved and see what you can do. And when you're done, you know what could happen for you? You must end up becoming smarter, even better than God. Now, Eve should have said, I hear the question. Let me go back to God and get clarification of what he meant. But no, she went to him. And he gave her a translation of what God think he ought to have said. And so she bought into it. And you know what happened? When she bought into it, she convinced her husband to get involved in it. In a scholarship. And so he bought a scholarship also. And they both acquired knowledge of good and evil. But he didn't tell them what would be missing when they disobeyed God. When they changed the word of God, he did not tell them what would have been missing in their relationship from their own hence and how much it would cost them. The convenience become their nightmare. When God showed up, we see a distorted relationship. Now, let me say this to you. There was no need for God to leave behind a book, a policy book to Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were talking to God face to face no need for a Bible he was there they were there they talk mouth to mouth you don't write a letter to somebody that you can talk to mouth to mouth but if you're absent from that person physically you leave them a letter, a book, or a notebook, or a notepad with some information on there. So when God showed up and began to talk to Adam and Eve and call for communication, they said, well, we're hiding from you. Wow, that's new knowledge. You never had that before. How do you acquire that? Who gave you certain things? Did you? And they began to go down the line and tell how they got their translation of what God intended. Now, here's a sad part. They think they knew what God intended and what God meant. And when they were through, the Bible said they were both thrown out of a place of paradise and thrown in a place of the world perdition. All because somebody decided to change the word of the Lord. And here's what happened. Only one addition cause them to lose everything that God promised them. One word. I remember that now. One word made them lost everything. One change. Not many revisions, folks. Just one change. Change the entire meaning of a sentence. Not messed up that situation. And they come not surely die. When God said, thou shalt surely die. He put the not in there. And that's the beginning of scholarship. That's the beginning of human ambition to be smart, professing to be wise. Adam and Eve became fools. 
and now they're finding what's missing in their Bible the relationship with God they were deceived by Satan now I like this instance I want to point to you here John ran to the churches John was the last person that died he said I will no longer write to you but I plan to come and see you and talk to you what? Face to face. In other words, when there's a distance between you and the individual, you write a letter or an epistle, they call it back then. We say a letter today or a text message. But if they're present, you don't text them. You talk to them. Right? Now, that's what the Bible is. Adam and Eve in Genesis did not have a Bible. No need for one. They and God were talking face to face. But as the rift get bigger and wider, they're separated. And God still wants to talk to man, but not face to face. So how is he going to do it? Of course, with his word, but he's not going to come and talk to them direct as he used to. So he's either going to write the word or send the word. Find a way of transmitting that word. So in Genesis, many of the encounter that we read is always God in direct conversation with the elect people he chose to dialogue with. Amen. Noah. The sons of God. Then we see Seth. Enos. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they weren't handed the Bible. They weren't handed some kind of literature to read because God would talk to them direct or through dreams and visions. So God didn't tell Abraham, write this down. Isaac, write this down. Both, I mean, Jacob, write this down. All the 12 tribes, write this down. No, he didn't. Because he just talked to them direct. Because the relationship was a lot better than if I send you a letter. Are you with me? Now the chances are, you may not see the Queen of England, but she may send you a letter. That's the closest you'll get to her, is through a letter, a transmission of that letter. Now that letter must come to you through the Queen's press. Just anybody can't write for the Queen. The Queen have an official press. That's the insignia. When you see an insignia and on that letterhead, you know it's from the Queen's press. Anybody else that try to write is a counterfeit. So they have an insignia. Now I want to talk to you about what is missing. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We have six or six books of the Bible. If I was to write a book I intend for others to read it. Right? And I may copyright that book. I may uh, trademark that book. I may do whatever to make it distinct from any other book. I don't want it to be confused. Every book must have an author. Every book must have an intended audience. Every book must have a message. It must have an introduction. It must have a closing. And if the book is written by the same person, 
then there should be the law of consistency, the flow of thoughts. Now, here we are today, several years since God made Adam and Eve. And we have his book called, we call it the Bible, for the word called Biblist, the Bible. And I want to point out to you and show you that in an age of convenience, where we're all told, here is a, a book for dummies. Somebody who's not a scholar. We're going to simplify it for you. We're going to give you an abridged version so you don't have to spend time in research and study and do what other scholars have done. We want you to get it so quick and, you know, like a microwave coffee, like a microwave cooking, very fast. No need to strike a match. Here it is. Bang. It's, in your, it's on your table in a few seconds. You know, fast food outlet. Never mind you're missing nutrients and all the carbohydrates and the protein and the fats and whatever you need. You got some sterilized kind of food given to you. Some artificial. But nobody would ask, what am I missing? What am I missing when I go that route of convenience? What is absent from what I'm indulging in? All they can see is the, the lustful gratification of now. The down. Not much effort. Get it so easy. Well, easy come, easy go. Nothing to it. But they got those who sweat hard to get it. And they know they've done the right thing. And what they end up with is the genuine. Now, the person that is in the convenience store is not interested in the genuine. They're more interested in self-gratification of their wild lust for now. And they don't have the patience to find out and to explore and to research and find out what's in this. What am I missing? What am I getting? It just sounds too easy. Look at an example. Here is a man called uh, Jehoshaphat, and he's hanging around a guy who's a, who's a apostate called Ahab. Jehoshaphat knows the mind of God and the thoughts of God and the voice of God. His friend denies that, doesn't want that. He wants somebody who give him the message of convenience, smooth things, prophesy easy things for him, tell him what he wants to hear. So he got 850 men that will give him the convenience he desire. <coughs> when he wants it, he come right up. And they'll tell him what he should be doing. That's what God said when God didn't speak. But that's what God said. And so when the time came to make a decision, he called and the man that knew the truth said, well, you know, that's all right for you, but that's not right to me. Is there anything more genuine than that? <laughs> that's not very disingenuous. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear the real thing. So they brought the truth in. And when the truth came, he slapped it and knocked it and rejected it because it was not convenient what he's hearing for his self-gratification. So he chose to go where he could hear what he wanted to hear and that's what he would get but he was not considering what am I missing with this convenience outfit what am I not getting what are they not giving to me that this person though it seemed costly and pricely yet they're giving to me what I need not what I want but what I need I must have and so you know what happened to to this man called Am, he lost his life because of convenience. All right, 
Jesus says, it is written. He rejected the altar of convenience. He could have chosen Satan's route to become a world leader. But I read in Revelation, Jesus Christ will conquer the world. He'll bring the king and the Lord of the earth. But not the way Satan said it. That was an easy believism version. And he rejected that perversion and stick to God version of the message that the way to the world leadership is through Calvary. That's what he chose. But he could have chosen the other route. Now, so what is missing in your Bible? Look at your Bible. Pick it up and look at it and ask yourself the question, is this the Word of God or does it contain the Word of God? Those two statements are not the same. Every liar have elements of truth. <laughs> but it's not the truth that's going to hurt you. It's going the lies. What is missing in my Bible? Can I trivialize what's missing? What is absent? Or what's in my Bible that should not be there? And the only way you're going to find out the answer to what I'm asking you is if you choose tonight or today to search the Scripture. If you don't search, you are at the mercy of some charlatan, subtlety of sleight of hand. And you could be taken without knowing you've been shortchanged. Amen. Search the scripture. But what is the scripture? The scripture is the script. Scripture from the word script. The script of God. Script means writing. And writing is the physical revelation of the spoken word. And the spoken word is the revelation of the thought of the thinker. So, if I contaminate the script, does it have retroactive effects? Does it accrue to me situations I don't plan for? Think about it. Jesus said, search the scripture. Why? For in them you think you've got benefits. Eternal life. And then he says, the scripture testifies of me. Today, we can say, the Bible I have may not be the autograph, autograph of what the man wrote initially, the first person who wrote, put the pen on that parchment or paper, that's the autograph. Everything after that is called copies. And those copies, obviously in, the, in the antiquity, they copied it laboriously, hand, and it couldn't be laborious because all they ever knew, writing with their own hands. When God wrote for Moses in the stove, it was his hand on the machine, was his hand, the finger of God wrote on the tablets. That's what the Bible says. 
So search the scripture. How many of scholars today, or even students of the Bible, are going to search the scripture to find out what is missing? And then how many are going to ask themselves, how many have really searched the manuscript to see if the manuscript represents, amen, the authorship of what was said? What was said? Do we have what was said? Or do we have what we think was said? Or was said? What do we really have? And how can we find out? Do we really care? Does it matter? Are there any repercussions? Are there any impact? But Jesus says, search them for in them you think you have eternal life. The prophets of old said, God said it against those who prophesied when he did not speak. How do I know when God speak? It's the last God that in Deuteronomy. How do I know when God speak? How do I know when God did not speak? How can I tell that this is of God and that's not of God? Now, God has to give us an escape so we're not caught in the cobweb of these charlatans or men who corrupt the scripture. There must be a way to tell. And God gave examples how. He said, the thing come not to pass, then you know I didn't say it. But he also said, if it come to pass, I allow it to check you out. What he's saying, I allow false teachings to flourish to see if it would influence you. And he also said in another statement, I did not confirm what the false prophet said, that you may know by it not following through, I did not speak. Because then when I speak, my words shall not return to me empty or void. It will accomplish what I told you it would accomplish. But there are times when lying prophets said things and they come to pass. How do we know it's of God? God said, I did to test you because what was said and what happened is still don't conform to the standard of God's word. So you should know. In other words, know what you're missing in your text. Or know what's in your text that should not be there. Hello? Now, so we have today called versions or perversions. I would say in Genesis, the devil brought to to Adam and Eve perversion. He did not give them another version of what God said. What he did was he perverted what God said. Change the truth into a lie that makes him the father of lies. Amen. And lies simply mean deviance. Deviance could be subtractions, omissions, or additions, or deletions, or even the absence of not responding when you ought to, because by not responding, you have responded. Now, so I want you as a careful person take a look at what's missing in the verses of your Bible what about the doctrines in your Bible the names in the Bible what would you say are missing or what's there that should not be there are these words the words of the author 
or are the man manufactured words that deviate from what the intended author want you to hear and learn for example a young man was sent on a mission to Jeroboam and God told him go see that king the apostate king and tell him I'm against what he's done his altar is wrong his doctrine is wrong his, his ideas are wrong and prophesy against him when he did God confirmed the word the altar broke the king tried to arrest him and his hand just shriveled right up shrunk and he prayed to said pray for me so he prayed for him his hand came back as normal he said come on with me he said I can't do that why not because God said not to do it so he overcame him and God said now go home another way but I have no fellowship with those guys because I'm not with them they're evil come another way while he was on his way he stopped on an oak tree and the Bible said he sat there long enough for another prophet to come by a false prophet he's a prophet but he's false that means he's a deviant he does not represent the will of God he's doing his own thing okay and so he said look hey you're a prophet he said, he said I'm one too I'm a prophet too he said well I'm going where you came from he told him he said well come on with me he said God says I can't go home with anybody I should not go home with anyone I must go straight home well I'm a prophet too and God spoke to me Listen now God spoke to me how an angel came and told me to tell you that you can't come home with me. And that man lied. His sons told him what the young man did and accomplished. He never saw an angel. He saw his own sons. This is calling his sons angels. But they're not angels. They said, Dad, you should have seen that guy. He prophesied and God confirmed the word. He said, where is he? He went to find him. Because you see, in those days, God is not speaking to Jeroboam people. Because they, they brought in Baal, calf worship. Now, look what happened. The young lad followed the lying prophets. Went home with him, sat down, began to fellowship and eat. And while he's doing that, that old lying prophet began to prophesy truth it's amazing how come the same well brings salt water and fresh water <coughs> hot water and cold water from the same mouth but he did because God is now using him the first time the devil was using him now God turned around and used because God have nobody else there to talk through so God's not limited to who can talk through and God said to this young lad, because you disobey my voice, you disobey my thought, my text, my message, you're not going back home alive, you're going to die. See what I'm telling you? The false prophet now finally told some truth. Not all truth, but some truth. Half truth. And that part was truthful. And he cost him his, his life. A bare 
kill him or a lion kill him and didn't touch the donkey the donkey didn't sin against God he did my point is this we're going to find preachers bishops leaders who are going to tell you I'm a Christian too I've got titles I've got degrees I've got education I, I write books and I'm going to tell you this is what I'm giving you is scholarly it isn't inspired it isn't for revelation the scholarship but what they don't tell you is scholarship could get you out from divine fellowship like this young lad who made that gross error not considering what's missing in what the guy said God does not change it's a message with circumstance. God does not change geographically. Time does not change the truth. The truth of God endure it for all generation to have. One generation come and pass, but the word of God abideth forever. But he got messed up. And they could bring to you words or omissions or additions that impact the book you have in your hand called the Bible and it ceased to become the Word of God but contain the Word of God. Now you got to make up your mind what have I lost when I end up with a book that contained the Word of God, but not is the Word of God. They're not the same. Hello? Satan tells truth at times. But he always mixes it with lies. When God asked him in the days of Job, where is he coming from? He told the truth. But when he talked to Job's wife, he told a lie. It's a matter who he's talking to. And who is working with. And the question is, you got to decide tonight or today, whose report will you believe? The report of the scholars or the report of the disciples of Jesus Christ? It reminds me tonight of a man called Ahab again. Ahab attacked Naboth and said, Look, I've got a better vineyard on the one you've got so why don't you trade with me I'm going to say to myself now if it's better then why don't you give it to me you don't love me that much Naboth thought about what he's going to lose by giving this up he's losing his birthright if he made this trade He's considering what's missing if he made this transaction. Esau never considered what he's losing. Hello? He doesn't got gratification fulfilled. But not thinking about the edification that's going to be lacking in his life. And I'm saying here, Ahab was sent by the devil to overthrow Naboth. Naboth took a stand 
They stoned him with Jezebel's help, and he died. But he never lost his birthright. He kept it. It is no different today than some graduate from college telling you that you're an ignoramus and you should throw your Bible to the to the fire and burn it because they have for you a better scholarship endorsed Bible version that makes yours look foolish. So you should get rid of what you have that we may give you what we think you need to have. So you have to decide whether it's scholarship or scripture. Which one will you give in to? Does it matter what version we have or does it not matter? Hello? I'm going to say to you that you're going to be asked to throw in your Bible that's tried and proven and true, which is your birthright, which is your <laughs> your your given to vineyard, handed to you by God, endorsed by God over the centuries. Now it's time for you to give it up because we've got some new things for you. Better, better revelation. That's not what they said. They said better scholarship. In other words, I'm going to give you a scholarly translation of God's word. What I think God said, not what God said, what I think God said by paraphrase or by dynamic equivalence or by loose renditioning. I'm going to give that to you. And by the way, I want you to know, it comes through a word that you don't understand. Not in your Bible. It's called hermeneutics. Not even in your Bible. Hermeneutics is not even in your Bible. Not even implied. But that's how we arrived at. By higher criticism and lower criticism of the established Bible, we have arrived at the established Bible must be dethroned. And it's time to enthrone new So this God's goddess or gods called hermeneutic Herminius I've got a better way and you cannot understand your Bible except the God of scholarship called Herminius tell you what to do what to read what should be there otherwise your Bible you can never understand it. That's what Herminius means. It means that you can never understand what it means without his clarification. In other words, Adam and Eve cannot understand what God says and obey what God says without Satan injection of what he thinks it should be saying. Now, church, I thought the Bible says the Holy Ghost will bring back to your remembrance. But I, I'm sorry to say in the parlance of educators the word Holy Ghost sounds too spooky and nobody want to be spooked in modern times like this so every effort should be made to bring us to a more civilized world of you the word spirit and not ghost 
And so, does it matter if I, as a translator, ignore God's Word as given to us, handed down to us, and turn to scholarship for better understanding of His Word because Hermeneutics says, here's how it should be. It's, not, it's based on the unseals. Hello? Or majuscule. Is it by majuscule or unseals? Wow. Is this omoglomania or pseudopigraphica? Pastor, what are those? I don't know either myself. I'm not speaking them. Hello? I thought the Holy Ghost would teach you all things. Not some things, all things. When since I need a lexicon to teach me the Word of God? When since I need some dictionary to tell me what God meant? Can Webster tell me what God meant? Can Josephus tell me? God chose Josephus or Mr. Webster or Westcott and Hort to tell me what the Bible should say. Hello? Because of Paul, now I want you to write in Uncials and Peter in Majuscules. Did he say that? I'm going to say to you folks, What's missing in your Bible? Didn't Jesus say in, in Mark 7, How been in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. They hold to their traditions at the expense of scriptures. You can't find Jesus Christ in doctrines of men. He didn't say, It's written of me in the philosophy of men. He said, That spoils you. Hello. You see, it reminds me of the days of King Saul. He came to kingship, and the Bible says he alone had the sword and his son. The rest of Israel had to go down annually to the land of the Philistines to sharpen their weapon. And they could only use accredited weapon that was allowed by the Philistines. But aren't these the same Philistines who taught Israel to bring home the ark and a new cart? Which they did. And when Israel brought it home the right way, finally, they forgot how to handle the word of God, and someone had touched the ark and got killed. Could it be a time is coming? We're going to forget how to handle the man Christ Jesus. And many got slain. Hello. Didn't God say, My word shall not pass away? That statement means it will never be absent. It will always be there. So all the pens and the knives and the scholars and the typographic and typos and whatever they can do on uh, literary writing can never eliminate what is already settled in the heaven. If we cannot change the ordinances, the sun rising in the east and going in the west, 
and the weather as God set them up and told Noah, then you cannot change the word of God even though you may write a new script. You may think you've changed the word of God. What you've done is you've created, amen, a corrupted version of what God called perversion. Amen. But you cannot change the orders of the sun, the moon, the stars. And God says His word are more secure than the ordinances because they will pass away but his word shall not pass away so you got to decide when I go for the scholarship so called and they're idiomatics and they're fancy word like soteriology hello anthropology hermitology all those Fancy, stupid word that don't mean nothing. Where's the simplicity that's in the gospel? Sin, church, salvation, basic. That even the poor have the gospel preached to them. Hello? Don't forget now, in New Testament, the men God used were unlearned men, not men of scholarship. Men that had fellowship with God, not scholarship. With the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers and doctors. Church, listen to me. There are 40 versions concerning our Bible today that's competing to take away from you and me the tried and proven in the name of scholarship and the convenience of easy believism, easily understanding. In other words, reduce the Bible down to a comic strip reading book. Treat it like any other book you read off the shelf, read his digest. When God's Word was never intended to be that way. God's Word is written in such a way that you have to search it to find what it means. And do some comparative study. Research is involved. Now, men may take it to a thing like typographic elements to, 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 uh, to disapprove our Bible and say so, okay we went from the gothic to the Roman type and they'll do all these little things idiosyncrasies to throw you off balance but my question is what you come up with eventually what is missing what is missing the lying prophet didn't tell the young lad he's lying hello hello Eve was asked the question, did God say? Did God say? Church, I want to tell you, my friend, the devil can come and, 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 and use people who sound very educated. And I fluent in degrees and graduates. Don't forget when the universe started. Many years after the church was established. Let me show you some things here. You need to look at. Are you ready? Are you ready? I don't hear the amens. All right. I want to show some things back here that I think is very important. Here we have Jesus in the Bible is written about him Hebrews 10 and verse 7 
And the vault of the book is written about me, said Jesus. In other words, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about one person, not three persons. Please establish it in your mind. There are three persons in the Bible called God. One person. God is one. I don't need to repeat that to you again. I told you several times. Also in Scripture, God is one. Always will be one. There's only one throne in heaven, not two, three thrones. One throne. And only one God was on earth and showed himself on earth in human in humanity form, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Being a man doesn't mean he ceased to be God. And being God doesn't mean he ceased to be man. He can become anything he created. Because he, he he was and is before all things. Now, folks, look at this here. And John chapter 8, 56, 58. Put it on the board for those folks to see it, please. John 8. All right. John chapter 8, 56 to 58. All right. Jesus says, Abraham, before he was, I am. And they got angry at him. All right? Before Abraham was, I am. They said, you're not yet, what? Fifty. And you being a man, try to make yourself God. Now, the Bible is about one person. It doesn't matter what you read by any prophets in the Bible. Keep it in mind. Looking back in retrospect, it's about one person. He says, it's written about me. All right? So, in Genesis... Because he was with them, talking to them direct, mouth to mouth, and in various ways, which he does today. Are you with me? Now, there's no Bible in Genesis. Why? He was so close in talking to them. Today, that's not the case. We shall desire to see him and shall not see him. Now, so... Anything we read in Genesis has to come from an author who got told what took place. It happens to be the man called what? Moses. And Jesus said, if you believe not Moses' writing, you will not what? Believe me. John 5, 30-47. If you believe not Moses' writing, you will not believe me because he wrote of me. Right? And Jesus said, I don't need a testimony of men. Men means scholars. But you must believe the word. Moses wrote of me. Right? This is very important. You don't understand that. Genesis to Revelation. It's about me. The Old Testament is divided up into Genesis, the Law, the Prophet, and the Psalms. And Jesus said, it's all about me. Next, we discover Luke 24, 25 through 27. On the Eminist journey, he opened their understanding 
that they may understand the scripture that it was about him that Moses wrote as the Messiah Christ and as stated in the law the prophet and the Psalms it's about him then we read John 1 45 the disciples found a brother and said look we have found him of whom Moses and the prophet wrote so all the way throughout the scripture it's about one person one person who if he chooses can present himself in many forms as it suit his occasion for no man was his counselor and if he made an error who could decide who could figure it out hello now we see here John 8 56 58 Luke 24 25 27 John 1 45 and then again repeated in Luke 24 44 to 48 Jesus repeat again the law the prophet and the Psalms concerning me he's the son he's a star he's the hero everybody else is incidental as an impact on the plan of redemption to save man notice here folks so from Adam to the last Adam we have the law the prophet and the Psalms and then Genesis the book of origin now Moses Moses did not live in time of Genesis but he lived in time of Exodus correct he was the baby on the on the Nile correct and then we read that he wrote about God the first five books he wrote them God had to tell him what happened in Genesis and the rest he know what happened in Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy he was there except he couldn't write about his own death of course <laughs> he was not yet dead correct all right now our Bible was written we understand in Genesis there were many languages after Torah Babel we know that correct and we know Abraham came from Syria the Bible tells you that he was a Syrian and there was Amharic language spoken back then and then there was the Hebrew language so with Eber Eber started that and then continue on till Israel lose it in the Babylonian captivity when they lost their language and they came back through Ezra and Nehemiah etc they needed a new translation Greek because in Isaiah the Great who took over the kingdom of Babylon uh, brought in the Septuagint era so from the third century BC up to Christ's coming it was all in Greek and they got two sort of people those who spoke the Greek language and those are the Jews who they call the Masoretics it is said that Jesus on earth he quoted from the Septuagint 90 times and 10 times from the Masoretics the Hebrew book on the cross they put above his head Hebrew 
Greek and Latin. Those were the empires that controlled Israel. Now, when Jesus left this earth, he left 12 men who speak Greek, not Hebrew, or Galileans. Today, the Jews have to relearn their language. The first requirement when you go home in Israel is to learn what? Hebrew. Now, folks, Moses wrote and everybody copied. After Moses, then the prophets. The prophets start with Samuel for God's concern. And goes all the way up to Malachi, the last one we know of. Malachi, the last of the prophets. And they prophesied and the others write now what they said. Jesus endorsed the law and the prophet writings. And said Israel forsook it for their own writings. Now, the law and the prophet of the song about Jesus. What do you think would happen after Calvary? After Calvary, what do you think would happen? The disciples were sent to preach Christ. It says, no man can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. Didn't say Holy Spirit. It says Holy Ghost. Stay with me. And then, in 96 AD, the last of the apostles, somewhere there, John, he gives the book of Revelation. God told him to write what he saw. Either you believe it or you don't. Now, we know people give different interpretation of that. and That's not my study for tonight. But I'm going to say, those churches in Revelation, the seven churches, came out of the book of Acts. Ministry. They were not Trinitarians or Tritheistic. They were not pagans. There were churches that Paul and the apostles brought into existence for Jesus Christ. And they would continue with the apostles' doctrine or deviate from it for different reasons. And Christ was correcting them in Revelation. Now, after the last apostle died, 100 AD is the end of the apostles' lifetime on earth. Then we see infiltration came in. Rome that could not defeat the saints of God, all right, in 311 AD, brought in a, an edict of toleration where they tolerate Christianity. A man called Constantine with a divided kingdom said he saw a vision. And in that vision, he said the cross should be used. And he won the war and he made Christianity law. So he said. And so he forced pagans to be Christians. Now, when they wouldn't become Christians, he called pagan deity by Christian names and merged the two together. That's not my study for tonight. But we find, as time goes on, uh, the real church never ceased to exist 
because Jesus Christ declared the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church so the church always existed so what we find here now is the church propagated and spread my interest right now is the year 1611 1611 something happened king of England made a decree previously that he did not want to be a part of Roman Catholicism anymore he broke away from it right and when he did that folks it upset Rome upset Spain the Latin Vulgate Bible was the Roman Catholic Bible with apocryphal writers in there which is not of God okay now King James gave authorization to give an English translation because the English became the universal language of the world in 1611 the Bible came out now that was not the first one that King James authorized I understand that there were other versions before that our edition, which is the edition, in 1612, there, were, there was a Bible came after that 1611 version, in 1629, and so on. But what I want to point out to you here is, this Bible is the most attacked of all Bibles. Scholars tells you it's archaic. That's their excuse. It's archaic, and we don't speak that way anymore. And we don't understand the language anymore. The old English just so happened. I got a version of this. And I don't find nothing wrong with reading it. Holy Ghost spelled G-O-O-S-E. Not G-O-H, whatever. G-H-O-S-T, something, you know, differently. But that's not a problem here. All right? But I'm going to show you right here that all throughout this Bible, 611, the Jewish Bible from, from Genesis to Malachi is the same as the 1611 version Bible. No difference. The Gospel from Matthew to Revelation, the reformers have a problem with it. These scholars. Now, what we find in the Old Testament, I want to point out to you first. The term Holy Ghost was never used in the Old Testament. Never. You can't find it from Genesis to Malachi. It's not found. The only term you're going to find there is in Psalms 51 11, God's Spirit. Isaiah 6 3, 10 11, use the word Holy Spirit of God. Jesus told me, Samaria, God is a spirit, is a ghost. So God is a spirit. John 4.24, right? He always says, go there please. John 4.24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now look at this here. Nor do you find in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, nor is it stated that anybody's sins were remitted or did they have remission of sins? The key word was forgiven. 
if remission of sins and forgiveness were the same then we wouldn't have Hebrews chapter 10 because the whole purpose of Hebrews 10 is to tell the distinct difference between remission of sins and forgiveness of sins what we find from the inner testament all the way to the end of the bible to revelation God used these two terms spirit and holy ghost holy spirit and holy ghost now it's my job to read it and obey it not to question it which is what the scholarship is all about you call it higher criticism and low criticism well there was the critics of the bible wasn't he did God say what was he doing he was criticizing what God said and gave his interpretation of what he meant these guys are doing the same thing now why would God use the word Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost and sometimes in the same verse I mean can't God make up his mind <laughs> if he wants to say Holy Ghost why not say Holy Ghost and get over with or Holy Spirit why does God in one sentence use the term Holy Spirit and in all sentence said Holy Ghost either they have difference in meaning and application or just redundancy of words I'm mean, understand that scholarship just like Satan in Genesis chapter 3 said did God say or did God not say and they go in the Bible and they eliminate listen to me now every place where it says Holy Ghost and replace it with Holy Spirit. You say, well, Pastor Neil, don't be that trivial. It's a play on words. That's semantics. Is it really? Then Jesus says, dotting of the I and the crossing of the T means something different. Hello? Didn't he say, it didn't say seeds, as in many, which is an S, or seed. Doesn't God understand his own language? Does he need you and I to correct him? Who can correct his errors? Was there an error? For all these years? If God said in the mother two or three witnesses shall every word be established, Holy Ghost is used one, two, three, four, five times. You need only three times usage to make it doctrinally valid. It's used five times. Just like baptism in Jesus' name. How many times is it refer, referred to? More than three times. That means established. It says God is one. How many times is it established in the scripture? He's one. Hundreds of times. So who are these scholarship or scholars who are omitting Holy Ghost where God put Holy Ghost and put Holy Spirit? I say they just changed the message. In the Old Testament, 
It was God's Spirit working with men. Is that right? And the Spirit of God, hello, did not put up with nonsense. The Holy Ghost is an intercessor over here. The Holy Ghost make intercession. The Holy Ghost has the job of teaching, leading, intercession. That was not the job of the Holy Spirit back here. The Holy Spirit anointed, you vexed it, you become your enemy. Now, we do admit Holy Spirit is used in the New Testament, Luke eleven three, John seven thirty nine, Ephesians one thirteen, Ephesians four thirty, First Thessalonians four eight. Many times, Holy Spirit is used, but equally God uses the term Holy Ghost. Luke four one, John one thirty three, Acts two four, First Corinthians two thirteen. First Corinthians twelve three. Now I cannot change that. Who gave me the right to take my pen knife and cut that out or interchange words? Hello? Can't do it. So I'm going to ask you to do some inquiries. I'm searching. Here's a timeline. Here's a, people always say, What makes you think God prefer the King James sixty eleven version above other Bible? I'm going to give it tonight evidence that demands a verdict that God did gave us his approval on this book as is unrevised there's a difference between upgrading spelling then changing context hello Spelling may change, but the sentence remain unchanged through the evolution of language. Are you with me? Same God. Now, look at this. Are we going to see this, folks? Look very carefully. I'm asking you, what's missing in your Bible when you compare it to the 1611 King James Version? If we don't have a standard to go by, everything is okay. I believe the King James Version in the English nation is the language Bible that all will be governed by. Because King James, just like Cyrus, the king of Persia, were commanded by God to write that book in translation. Or give it to us in translation. He said, I don't believe that. Well, read your Bible, Arturexes, of God gave a command to do things for Israel. Hello? God command kings. He's setting them up and take them down. Now, folks, are you still here? In 1611, here's some proof here that God confirmed his word. In 1611, the edition came out. All right? And so the English-speaking world are influenced by this Bible. In terms of ethics, law, medical hygiene, 
you name it, governments, built on Moses' law. Guess what? In 1901, a revival broke out in Topeka, Kansas. What Bible did they have in 1901, United States, in Topeka, Kansas? What Bible did they have, folks? There were new, no new version Bible in those days, except this one. Sixty eleven Bible. The King James Bible was the Bible that Parham, right, was searching, Charles Parham, at the Bethel Bible School. Amen? They were searching it and asking for the book of Acts experience. And finally, God confirmed what they were reading and a woman called Agnes Ann Osman received the baptism of the Holy Ghost as written in the King James Version Bible. She received the Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. That's what they prayed for. Now that's proof that the Bible is correct because God will not confirm a lie. And they were searching the scripture. Like Jesus said, search scripture. They were searching it, and on that New Year's Day, they've, they got the Holy Ghost fell on this woman. Now, in 1906, you're in the same Bible, same Bible, Azuda Street Revival broke out with Mr. Seymour. Hello? What happened there? They had a global impact where the entire world was coming down to where? Azuda Street. And people were being filled with the Holy Ghost. And we see a fulfillment of Mark 16, 17. These signs shall follow the belief. In my name shall speak a new tongue. And they received the Holy Ghost. And miracles were happening. Another proof that God was confirming the word. What are we seeing here? We're seeing a repeat of the days of Josiah. When Josiah went into the house of the Lord and he found the, the book that Manasseh and all the rest have thrown away, he found the book, reread the book, and brought a great revival in Israel. Rebuild the altar. Now, look what happened here. So, we see, God confirmed the word, pulling out the Holy Ghost, repeating it in Azuda Street, and this time it was global. What Bible did they use? King James Version Bible. What Bible did they search? The King James Version of the manuscript. And God confirming the word. With signs following. As in the book of Acts. That's what they were asking for. We want a book of Acts experience. Now, in 1912 to 1913, at Aurora Seco, in Canada, somewhere here, that, uh, this guy called Ari McAllister was asked to speak at a convention. While he was studying to preach on baptism, they asked him to, he found without exception every person in the Bible, the book of Acts, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody was ever baptized false in the Holy Ghost. So church, what is happening here? We're seeing that God, again, confirming the word. Which signs, what? Following. You know what happened here? From that time on, people got rebaptized. Now, they can't ridicule speaking in tongues. 
They can't ridicule amen, being filled with the Holy Ghost because they saw it before their very eyes. Hello? And, and the world came to America to get it. And so, here is God confirming the word. Look at what's happening here. God revealed the book of Acts in the 1900s. And then, God did something very supernatural. He brought to light, amen, the oneness of God somewhere in 1918, uh, somewhere there. The oneness of God precipitated from McAllister Revelation that there was only one God. Look what happened, church, is a restoration of the oneness message of the book of Acts. Nowhere do we have a New King James Version Bible or an IV Bible or all these other Bible we have today. They weren't even around. That's why you must contend for the Bible once delivered to the North American saints. Just like how we contend for the faith once delivered to the apostolic saints. We have no business to go to a new cart and try to carry the gospel on it. It may be convenient to carry the, 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 the ark on a new cart, but God's not approving of it. And when you touch it with your hand, you're going to slay somebody to death. To death. Now the priest is supposed to carry it on his shoulder like this. But it's not convenient to get a new cart. Where do you learn that? From the Philistines. Now church, out of this book, King James Version Bible came the oneness of God, baptism in Jesus Christ's name, revelation, infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidence by speaking of the tongues, sign and wonder, the miracles happened, name of Jesus Christ, and all happened within between Amen 16 years in the 19th century. 16 years. It all happened. If that's not God's endorsement, what is? He that believeth on me, as it is scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. That means Jesus Christ is saying here that this Holy Ghost experience that took place, amen, was because it's written. I saw a book one time, How to Be a Pentecostal Without Speaking in Tongues. Honey, that's not possible. Hello? Not possible. So look, folks. So, in the first 16 years of 1900, God confirmed this book to be of God. It reestablished and reaffirmed the apostolic doctrine, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there's no other. And from that time, it caused division among everybody else. <coughs> so, if you want to know how to prove that your Bible is correct, you're your proof right here. He that believeth me as the scripture says, of his belly shall flow. So those who don't believe it don't get nothing. Those who believe it as the scripture says get what he says. God will not endorse what he didn't approve of. Hello? Now, so in 1945, we have the birth of USA Oneness Movement. 1945. 
When I say what, 945, actually it's 1918. You call it the Pentecostal Assembly of the World. 1945 is when a bunch of Pentecostals them joined together and formed a United Pentecostal Movement. But started in 1918. But the largest one is Pentecostal in the world. It's called Pentecostal of the World, where they all came together based on this revelation of McAllister. Amen. And so what we have is a reestablished the book of Acts experience. Now, you think that they're going to leave us alone? You think they're going to allow you to have this great revelation of the, and the restoration of the truth in North America to the Gentiles? No. You know what he did? They went back and dug up the teaching of Westcott and Hort, who came and criticized the KJV Bible, introduced classical Greek in place of the coin, coin the old Greek, which they spoke in Christ's day, and gave us another version. And what they did was kept with some Bible from manuscript. I don't want to go into right now, but it was not the same manuscript that the apostles, the apostles' uh, successors used. The manuscript that our Bible is based on is Septuagint, Texas Recepticus, and the Masoretics. The other version Bibles came from Vaticanus, Alexandrians, are you with me, and Vaticanus. Those are corrupt manuscripts that are filled with omissions and additions that are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. Now, I prove it to you. In 963, okay, what happened? In 963, we have, first of all, the either the Old or New Testament given to us, and then in 71, the, the NSAB and Church, that's what these names are, New Standard American Bible, NSAB, written in 963 and 96-1, came in two forms, the Old and New Testament. Then in 1973 and 78, in two portions, Old and New, the NIV came to us. In 1982, the New King James Version Bible came to us. In 1989, we end up with the NRSB Bible. In 1996, we put the, the NLT Bible, the New Living Translation, and then in 2001, the ESV. I want you to notice here, these Bible, every one of these versions, delete the word Holy Ghost. And said it doesn't belong in the Bible. It sounds to me like the ancient of 50 false prophets who came to the man called Ahab in one chorus voice says, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper. And Jehoshaphat says, Something is missing from this voice. There is no anointing. There is no revelation of what they're saying. There's no divine inspiration of what's being said. I need to hear a word from the Lord. And you know who they chose? A man called Micah. You know who he was? In prison. His word didn't match theirs. Let me tell you, friend, you don't need scholarship to have divine fellowship with God. What you need is faith in the 
faith once delivered. It is once delivered. No reformers ever reformed the church. It's impossible to reform the church. Constantine didn't reform the church. I'm going to tell you right, my friend, uh, uh, Zwindley and all these guys are not reformers for us. They cannot reform what God is building. Now, I want you to notice here, folks, God stopped responding globally in 1918, 16, with the PFW. And then in 1963, these Johnny-come-lately Johnny books are showing up. These new Bible, the NSAB, the NIV, the, K, the New King James Version Bible, the NRSB, the New LT, and every one of them have the same error. They omit the word Holy Ghost. Let me tell you what the word Holy Ghost actually means. It's not a spooky word of semantics or hieroglyphics. What is it? In the Old Testament, God did not live in his life for us. God did not. In the New Testament, turn in your Bible. John, 1 John 3.16, mother please. And compared with St. John 3.16. You guys see the difference? St. John says, God, what? So love the world, he gives only begotten son. That Usher believes should not perish everlasting life. Is that right? But here, here's John interpreting what that meant. In first John three I mean Saint John three sixteen. Go there please. First John three sixteen is the explanation for John three sixteen. No man can say the Son of God is God except by the Holy Ghost. They just don't know. Can no man know who the Son is but the Son? And no one know who the Holy Ghost is but the, whole, but the Son? And no one know who the Father is but the Son? And him to whom the Son will reveal him. Hello? Hello? They don't know who Jesus is. If they had known, they wouldn't have crucified him. Hello. Now, another thing to look at here. In the book of Acts 20, 28, look at it very carefully. It tells you that God purchased the church with his own blood. How could God purchase the church with his own blood? Except he's talking about Jesus Christ. Hello? It says, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, made the overseer of his church which he purchased with his own blood does a ghost have blood except Jesus Christ gave up the ghost the Holy Ghost which is with you and shall be in you now folks look at this they changed the truth of God in a lie by omission and additions and call it corruptions no history Amen. Of global endorsement by God 
concerning the book of Acts in any of these books. Write it down. Never has God ever given a global attestation to any of these books as he did between 1900 and 1918, the King James Version Bible. It's just not done. In fact, these books are giving us a famine in the land for hearing the word of the Lord. The famine. Famine. These books are bringing in our churches. They crept in unaware. I want you to imagine, church, Sunday morning, we come to service, and every one of you have one of these books. It's like Paul mentioned in the book of Corinthians. Every man got the tongue. One man got this. One man got that. And they all got this different confusion carrying on. What a confusion we're going to have in the church. Is that right? Now, look at this, folks. I did a calculation here very quickly. The NSAB. In 1963, right? When the NSAB came into existence. And 1611, when we have KJV. Look how many years transpired using the King James Version. And there was no problem. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, 352 years, we wasted our time reading an inferior book full of error, full of chapter that should not be there, full of terminologies that is not pleasing to the scholarship of the world. Something is wrong here. In other words, they're telling us we have 300 years of darkness and now we've got light because the new versions have come. Let's see if it's true. Please take your Bible and look at this. I'm going to stop here when I'm not through. I'm going to take you next week and show you a lot more errors than the one that I show you there in all these books. In the NSAB, I want to use as my reference scripture for all you listening today. Read 1 Timothy 3.16 in the 1611 Bible or the King James Version Bible. Let that be the plumb line and compare all these other Bibles on the same verse. Now we know in the Bible, we know that one word changed in Genesis chapter 3 brought Israel out of the I mean brought Adam and Eve out of the kingdom of God these guys have many omissions and additions that many of our believers and saints and preachers pay no attention to what's missing or what's added to the scripture when we're not looking the NSAB 1st 3.16 they delete the word God. It's not there. To prove his doctrine on what they're doing. NIV. 1 John 5.13 is deleted. Look it up. That's why they did that. And there's a lot more. The NKJV. There are 51 omissions of God. The NRSV, the word mystery of godliness is deleted. 
and the word God is is removed, omitted. In the NLT, Colossians 2, 9, the word Godhead is deleted, is, is removed. Where it says, in him dwell the fullness of the Godhead, that word is removed. Check me out. ESV, 1 Timothy 3, 16. God is deleted or omitted. In 1611, the Bible teaches at least five mentioning of the word Holy Ghost, New Testament. In every one of those Bibles, the word Holy Ghost cannot be found. Totally omitted. It's not there. It's not there. I can tell you how many omissions there are. I don't know if you got time for me to tell it to you. But if I get 10 more minutes, I'll tell you some more. In the NLT, Mark 7, 16 is omitted. Mark 9, 44, 46 is omitted. Mark 11, 26 is omitted. Mark 15, 28 is omitted. The entire chapter of Mark 16, 9 to 20 entire passage is omitted the entire passage you should look it up Luke 9 8 Luke 4 8 is omitted where it says get thee behind me Satan is gone it's not there Luke 7 36 entire verse is omitted Luke 23 17 is omitted John 3 16 begotten is omitted John 3 13 whose which is in heaven is omitted. John 5.14 is omitted. Philippians 2.6, the word equal is omitted. Colossians 1.16 is omitted. And replaced with something else. Colossians 2.9, the Godhead is omitted. 1 John 5.7 is omitted. Come on, church. What's missing in your book? What's missing in your Bible? In the NRSV... Acts 2.38 Remission is remitted, is removed and replaced with forgiveness. 1 John 3.16 Mystery of Godliness is replaced with doubt. God is removed. 1 John 3.16 They replace God. 1 John 5 The total verse is gone. Paraphrase are omitted. John 10.30 This is important. Go to that one page on scripture. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. The NRSV turned around and says, The Father and I are one. Come on, beloved. Does it matter? Does it really matter? Are these tools for me to study with? Can you build anything with a blunt tool? Can a corrupt tool Put up a perfect building. Pentecostals don't need us to study with. They need to burn it. They need to get rid of it. The NIV, Luke 9.56. All right? Acts 8.37 changed. 1 John 5.13 omitted. Philippians 
2, 5, and 6 is revised, changed. Matthew 24, 36, KG, KJV says, My Father, and NIV says, The Father. Matthew 1, 25, it says, The birth of a son. KJV says, Her firstborn son. What's the difference? All right? John 3.13, KJV says, which is in heaven. NIV says, no one ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. In other words, Jesus is not omnipresent. Come on, church. Matthew 9.18, they said, in, in the KJV, they worshiped him. NIV says they knelt before him. Acts 23.9 is omitted. Alright? The New King James Version Bible, the one that has the the symbol of the 666 of the Trinity used in Egyptian cult, and copyrighted by some private owner. There are six six omissions of Lord, twenty-two omissions of hell, fifty omissions of heaven, twenty-three omissions of blood, fifty-one omissions of God. 44 omissions of repentance. It's estimated that there are over 100,000 translation changes when compared to the King James Version. Think about it. The ESV, 1 Timothy 3.16, it omit God in that sentence. Isaiah 7.14, they replaced virgin with a young woman. That word, a young woman produced a child, not a virgin. Luke 2.33, Joseph in KJV, but in ESV that said his father. Joseph was never his father. Hello? St. Corinthians 2.17, KJV said they corrupt the word. But ESV said they, they peddle the word. Does it matter what's missing in your Bible? How can anybody endorse this and tell other preachers to hold to this and study from this? I can never understand that. How can I tell you as saints to do this? I can't do that, folks. When I was a professor at the college in Edmonton, I couldn't give them false book to read. I had to read authentic books. Not just scholarly. I had to be right. The NASB. First Timothy three sixteen omitted. Acts twenty three nine omitted. Acts eight thirty seven omitted. Acts ten thirty it replaced instead of saying I and my father are one it says the father and I. So that's it. Let's stand. I'm done. I rest my case. I'm asking the question, ask it before again. Does it matter what's missing in your Bible? Come on, beloved. I don't have to be popular. You can become popular and end up what Jesus said. So spake they of all the false prophets. Everybody speak well of them. Popular. Right? But in heaven they're discredited.
What use is it if I'm accredited on earth and discredited in heaven? I'm for education. I'm for scholarship. But it doesn't matter what I feed myself on. Amen. You can't take poison and live a healthy life. Hello? To remind you, like Josiah, some searched the 1611 KJV and were influenced by it and produced the Pecos, Kansas, where Agnews and Osman received the Holy Ghost as the apostles did. In 1906, at Azuda Street, influenced by the 1611 King James Version, Seymour, who couldn't even read, was even a scholar. You hear me now? Had no degree. Had race against him, everything else against him. But God confirmed the searching heart for the truth. 1912, 1913, in Aurora, amen, in Canada, Ari McAllister discovered Acts 2.38, as the only formula for baptism in Jesus Christ Church. 1918 and 1945, oneness movement came into existence. Notice the letters. Later, new versions were written trying to destroy the influence of your King James Version Bible for English speaking people. Jude described them very clearly for you. Now, they're mocking God, what they're doing. With these new versions. All right? What's missing in your Bible? Ask the question. What's out in your Bible? Check it out. Listen, my friend, no history of global events or revival from those false versions. I say get a clean slate and start all over. <laughs>